0: The newspapers are telling us that many rural services are closing their doors because they're running out of people, money or both. In other areas we are hearing that mutual aid may be a thing of the past. A lot to unpack. I'm Rob Lawrence and this is EMS One Stop. And welcome. So to help me talk about this subject, uh, I have recruited my guest, who is Justin Gross. Justin is the General Manager of Great Falls Emergency Service, and, and it's a post he's held since 2008. Uh, in his 20-year career, he was also uh, the EMS Director for Teton County EMS in Montana. He's worked in both rural and urban services in Wyoming, Vermont, Maine, and Arizona. And Justin's also a member of the American Ambulance Association's Government Affairs Committee. Justin, welcome.
1: Thank you, Rob. Uh, Good to be here with you. Uh, Hello from uh,
0: rural Montana. Hello from rural Montana. You are just the guy for this particular show as we're going to talk about rural things and uh, who better to help me with this uh, this particular podcast. Before we talk rurality, volunteer EMS and life outside the big city, let's just take a moment to listen to my narration of my recent article, Even Not-for-Profit Doesn't Mean All for Free. As prices soar on gas, lumber, and consumer goods, EMS cannot follow market forces to increase prices for our services. With vaccinations for those that want them underway and the infection R number, the projected number of people that one infected person will pass on a virus to dropping to a manageable level, the storm that's been the public health pandemic seems a little calmer. There is, however, A staffing and financial tidal wave that's been accelerated by the COVID 19 quake heading to our shores. The EMS News, full of optimistic reports of bailout funding and new programs, is countered by closures and reductions in departments, agencies, and services. Last week, the New York Times reported that at least 10 ambulance companies in Wyoming are in imminent danger of closing, and this scenario is beginning to play out across the country. The article accurately sums up the situation. The ambulance crews that service much of rural America have run out of money and volunteers. A crisis exacerbated by the demands of the pandemic and a neglected patchwork 911 system. The problem transcends geography. In rural upstate New York, crews are struggling to pay bills. In Wisconsin, older volunteers are retiring and no one is taking their place. Meanwhile, on the East Coast, the Richmond Ambulance Authority is facing a $1 million cut to its subsidy that was put in place to fund the high levels of uncompensated care caused by the lower socioeconomic level of RAA's payer mix. For RAA, an internationally respected EMS system that has mastered the delivery of high-performance, high-value mobile health care with an extreme focus on financial and operational efficiency. This has come as a blow as margins in their 501c3 organisation are and were already tight. This one hits close to home because as the former CEO of RAA, I often noted that the harsh economic fact was that not-for-profit doesn't mean all for free, everything costs something whether it's in the human or financial capital. Rural America has taken much pride in caring for itself over the decades with volunteer rescue squads and fire departments providing local and personal care to the community, shaking the boot outside the local supermarket and conducting fundraisers to keep the wheels on. This gift of time and effort created a free good that localities enjoyed and county budgets most probably did not need to account or accrue for. Over time this has changed as volunteers and volunteering have diminished. That gap had to be filled with combination services of paid and volunteer staffs increasing the cost of doing business and in many cases this is an unfunded mandate but somebody has to pay. The New York Times quoted Andy Gynap the recent administrator for emergency medical services at the Wyoming Department of Health. Communities are faced with confronting the very real crisis of we don't know how we're going to do this tomorrow because nobody's doing it for free he said. Everything costs something. In the case of the city of Richmond City officials observed that the pandemic had impacted tax revenues and forced the city to make cuts across city agencies, including freezing about 600 jobs and pulling from its rainy day fund to make it through the current fiscal year. The problem is, cutting EMS funding could turn that rainy day into a disastrous tempest. Money doesn't grow on trees. Well, perhaps. Since the beginning of the public health emergency, Lumber prices per thousand board feet have soared more than 348%. The solution for wholesalers and home improvement suppliers is to increase the retail price and pass that cost on to the customer, whether they're buying a new house or a piece of plywood. What does that have to do with us? Well, the answer lies in the fact that we as an ambulance industry cannot follow market forces to increase prices for our services when there are fluctuations in the market. We're locked into contract and government rates and the option to bump the price and have it paid, as we all know, is near to zero. In the absence of volunteers, municipalities must be prepared to fully and appropriately fund and resource life-saving in their communities. This must be achieved by investment from the public purse and by supporting the legislative and political efforts to ensure sources of federal payment for services delivered are realistic and reflect both the cost of doing business And readiness. As we begin to emerge from the pandemic, we can celebrate that throughout it all, we, as a profession, did the right thing and bailed out the wider healthcare community with our actions. With that done, we must now face the reality that the industry needs intensive care and focused life support. Luckily, our collective national associations, acting in unison since the beginning of the public health emergency was declared, have worked hard to secure funding and waivers to provide relief. The recently announced confirmation that payment for treatment in place, TIP, is effectively backdated to March 1st 2020 and that's some good news and represents a concerted collective effort in association lobbying. But in the final analysis we all need to rally to ensure that our elected officials at every level of the political stratosphere, from the national capital through state houses to boards of supervisors, can see the wood from the trees and understand the risk to the emergency response coverage they're facing. So thank you for listening to that, Justin. And uh, really to set up my first uh, proper question, uh, tell me about your role on the national scene with the American Amulets Association.
1: You bet, Rob. Uh, currently, I'm serving as the chairperson for the uh, uh, rural uh, task force, which is um, is uh, part of the AAA, the American Ambulance Association, that uh, focuses on rural issues um, in our country, which of course uh, many EMS and ambulance services function in uh, areas that are very, very rural. And EMS in this country, uh, of course, has a challenging uh, situation in general as far as our overall reimbursement
0: and ability to stay robust and uh, vital. So I wanna break down some of those parts in a second, but we've seen from newspapers like the New York Times a week and a half or so ago and, and other publications that rural ambulance services, agencies, organizations, squads, call them what you will, are closing um, in greater numbers for various reasons. Um, is that what you see out there? Obviously you're, you're the man on the ground in the country. I mean, are you seeing that?
1: Yeah, that's certainly occurring here in Montana, Rob and has been for quite a number of years. There's uh, perhaps half a a dozen communities in the state that are large enough to support paid services where where paid folks are providing um, uh, ambulance service. But the bulk of the state has been historically covered by volunteers in very small communities that uh, have their day job, um, yet are willing to respond to emergencies uh, when they occur in their small community. Um, And that sector of the EMS workforce here is uh, seeing very tough times. A lot of communities are down to one or two, three or four volunteers that are able to respond into their community. And in some cases, um, the communities have no response
0: available at all at this time. So what options does the community and the locality have in that case? Well, it gets pretty tricky. A lot of times they
1: uh, have no choice but to call the next ambulance service. But of course that can um, elongate the response time potentially by quite a bit. And here in Montana, we're used to uh, traveling some pretty far distances, uh, but there's communities in Montana where the closest ambulance may easily be half an hour, 45 minutes away from where the, uh, or further from uh, where the incident
0: occurred. Does the local board of supervisors, the local governing body, the the politicians in charge, do they realize they have to do something to try and fix this? Or is it one of those sort of head in the sand issues?
1: You know, Rob, little by little, the various stakeholders here in Montana are realizing that we really need to get together to figure out some uh, structure to properly support our rural communities. There's a lot of players involved ranging from local governments to counties to state government. Private sector, various nonprofits, um, but
0: it's going to take all of us putting our heads together to come up with some good solutions. The other issue, of course, is the reimbursement, the funding, and the finance. You, particularly with your role within the AAA, are pushing to ensure that those that are in rural areas and are in super rural areas actually are mm. getting reimbursed for the fact is that you have you don't have many calls. But you have a massive geography so i guess the first question is how does that rural payment and its future affect how business can be delivered
1: yeah well that's very true rob Um, it is more expensive to operate in a rural environment primarily because the call volume is so much lower and as you mentioned uh, we're operating off of pretty large geographic areas Um, that is one reason why it's so crucial for congress to extend The Medicare add-ons, which will produce a three percent increase versus for rural areas versus the two percent increase for urban areas, um, to at least allow all of us to function where we're getting reimbursement as close to at least
0: cost as possible. And of course, that's been a challenge for for every EMS organization at the moment that the cost of doing business isn't covered by the cost of the money that's coming in for it, and so therefore it's going to be really painful in a rural area if the, the the add-ons, and of course, the people listening, they hear us often talk about add-ons, but the the truth is, if we can't cover the cost out in, in the rural area, then we can't even do it, right?
1: That's correct, yeah. Several years ago, the OIG, Rob, uh, determined that Medicare reimbursement for ambulance services was well below cost. And that's where those add-ons came into play, uh, the 2% for urban, 3% for rural. And uh, the extension of those is especially crucial for rural areas that, uh, again, have a much higher cost and um, are already beleaguered and uh, vying for survival. So that uh, uh,
0: baseline reimbursement is uh, essential for rural areas. Right. And uh, I spent the first 10 years of my American life in Virginia. And Virginia has, like I would imagine, like Montana, has a large amount of volunteer rescue squads and so what's what's happened in virginia and i'm sure this is happening elsewhere is that uh, local authorities have had to create almost composite systems because the volunteers aren't coming in um we need to actually put somebody in to cover either the day or the night depending on when the volunteers aren't coming um this was never funded um there was there's not enough money going in the boots that you're shaking outside the supermarket and so there is therein lies a as I say, an unfunded mandate issue for for local governments.
1: Yes, and that uh, we do have a a couple examples, excuse me, here in Montana, Rob, where um, uh, interesting models being employed in communities that um, really just don't have the volunteer workforce to guarantee a response to a 911 call, Uh, for example, um, Missoula Emergency Services is currently engaged in an arrangement with uh, both Three Mile, Montana, as well as Florence, Montana, where they position one of their uh, BLS units in that community for certain periods of time during certain days. And the um, local community tax dollars are helping uh, support the cost of that. Um, And that appears to be working quite well, where a private sector service is supporting one of these rural areas
0: that, you know, at this point had no other coverage. And that's a good thing, because one of the things that we talked about before we started recording was there are some other stories around the fact that mutual aid isn't occurring because they can't agree who's going to pay for it. And that surely is something that should ring a massive alarm bell if we're not going to you know help our brother or sister services across the county line.
1: Yeah, that's uh, that's certainly true. You know, here in Montana, Rob, uh, Will always go wherever needed, um, and that's part of one of the problems is, is that some of our larger services are getting called further and further afield to support communities that um, that can't field a response. So an ambulance may be responding out of their primary response area, even an hour or so away to get to a town where somebody needs an ambulance and um, that just is the closest one that's um, that's currently functioning.
0: I thought, you know, I had rural issues when I was on the East of England Ambulance Service, which was, you know, that was 35, 40 miles between hospitals. But I'm guessing you are magnified to the to the nth degree. If you are in a, in a in a community with like one ambulance in one station and you're the first patient, that's great. What happens if you're the second patient and there's no one left to treat you or no one left to respond to you? What What's the plan?
1: Yeah, you know, and that's where, you know, certainly in Montana, folks are used to getting creative And, uh, you know, likely transporting multiple patients at one time Uh, in our state law even has provisions for using a vehicle other than an ambulance if it's appropriate and necessary considering the circumstances. But uh, yeah, a lot of times uh, we just have to get creative Um, and the rural volunteers um, have been phenomenal as far as keeping things going in their communities. A really impressive, effort over the last several decades but it is getting tougher and tougher to make that
0: happen actually you just gave me a flashback to my military days there justin where the 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 rule of the medical commander was an ambulance is whatever i designate it to be in other words if you run out of ambulances with red crosses on then the truck up the road or whatever is going to be the ambulance next so i'm glad that you're doing that but that's a war zone
1: (laughs) yeah and certainly even in our primary response area being as kind of Uh, rural frontier and rugged as it is, uh, there are plenty of times where we can't even get an ambulance to the location and do need to use a snowmobile or some other four-wheel drive vehicle to extricate the patient down to where the ambulance can reasonably um,
0: position. Right, but that also really highlights some of the economic issues because CMS ain't reimbursing you for a snowmobile response, I'm sure.
1: Correct. No, there's, a. as you know, Rob, there is a lot of services that EMS and ambulance services provide that simply don't get reimbursed.
0: And that's, uh, and again, that's, I think, where we're heading into a problem because we survived the pandemic. I say survived with my little, making those little rabbit ear signs, right? We survived the pandemic, but we're about to be hit with this financial tsunami of, of the fact is that we're not getting Reimbursed for what we're doing, and eventually, and therefore, we're going to stop doing it. And uh, I think from what we've seen, it's going to be out in the countryside where it hits first.
1: Yeah. And you know, one of the um, uh, silver linings of the pandemic, of uh, course, was um, Congress and CMS uh, were great about um, uh, issuing a waiver for treatment in place for stable COVID patients who were left at home instead of taken to the hospital. Um, definitely the right thing to do um, and uh, gives us a great template going into the future for one of the services EMS provides that we don't get reimbursed for which is treatment in place. You know as any ambulance service uh, anywhere in the U.S. responds to many 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 calls where they don't transport the patient to a hospital, they treat them in place, Uh, get them some resources, handle it correctly. And the downside is there's no reimbursement. And I think going into the future, that reimbursement for treatment in place activities and services is going to be huge for us, uh, especially in these rural
0: areas. So if you're listening out there and you want to help us to ensure that our politicians, our elected officials, get the message. What can you do? You know, right now, the big ticket item, Rob, is the um,
1: Medicare bill that extends the add-ons and um, adjusts the uh, the zip code issue for rural versus urban, which I'd be glad to talk about uh, here in a bit if you'd like. But um, at the current moment, um, anything folks can do to contact their federal lawmakers to encourage them to support this um, ambulance Medicare bill will be... Um, it's, it's absolutely essential that that gets passed by Congress, and the more support uh, we can get from the folks out there doing the job in the trenches in the field um, definitely has a big impact on these
0: lawmakers. Excellent. I just have to say, though, if you're enjoying the show, please take a moment to uh, rate and review us on Apple Podcasts. And by the way, you can follow us on Apple Podcasts, SoundCloud, Amazon Music, Stitcher and Spotify. Have you heard of any of those, uh, Justin? <laughs>
1: Uh, Yes, yes. I'm uh,
0: doing my
1: best to keep up with the uh, social media and the technical aspects here. It's fascinating stuff. You've got it pretty well covered, I'd say.
0: I'd say we've got it pretty well covered. We really are issuing a call to action here because the the, the deep-rooted problem is if we're not careful, things are going to close. If we're not careful, there's going to be no plan to replace us when we're gone, um, and I think that's a huge alarm bell and we need to make sure that people are aware of it.
1: Yes, yeah, so, you know, and one of the uh, downsides to the well, one of many downsides to the pandemic is, as you know, Rob, we had intentions to do some cost data collection, where over the course of a couple years we could collect our actual cost data, supply that to CMS So they would easily be able to see that, boy, we are not reimbursing these guys nearly enough. And the pandemic put that cost out of collection on hold. Unfortunately, I'm sure we'll get back to it here as soon as possible. Uh, And that's why in the meantime, we're asking Congress to just extend those add-ons for another five years to keep us, uh, hopefully keep us going as much as possible.
0: Right. But it's not really going to cover all the costs of all the business, though, even with an add-on.
1: No, the add-on, you're right, Rob, they're just a bit of a band-aid on the the bigger issue of just uh, poor and incomplete reimbursement for EMS and ambulance services. Both parties need to address that head-on and uh, create a structure for adequate reimbursement for us to to be healthy.
0: Justin, is there anything else from a rural uh, wilderness perspective that we need to know about today?
1: Well, you know, one of the interesting things in that uh, Medicare bill, Rob, is that uh, in addition to extending the add-ons, there's a structure for services to appeal to CMS regarding their rural versus urban status, which is done via analysis of zip codes. Uh, probably 95% of the time, it's it's accurate. It's probably correct. But um, there's also a certain number of places, and that includes here in Montana, that are actually coded by CMS as urban. And um, that's incorrect. We're actually these places are functioning in a rural environment, much more costly. And I'm excited for this structure to be in place where we can say to Medicare, look, uh, can you take a look at our status here? We're really more of a, we should be being reimbursed at a rural rate, uh, not an urban rate. And that's that's a big part of the current Medicare bill also.
0: And so you know, for those guys that are sitting on the truck listening to this thinking, well, what's it got to do with me You know, to be perfectly blunt, if we can't get the reimbursement in, then we can't make the payroll. And so this is a vitally important thing. I think the good news is that since the pandemic, and I've noticed this, more people have been become more interested in EMS finances and actually where the money comes from. Um, You know, we just don't want to be seen as an organisation that's concerned about the money. But actually, no money. As I said in the article, you know, even not for profit doesn't mean all for free because we have still got to pay people.
1: Yeah, you know, and we'd, um, you know, honestly, um, these EMTs and paramedics out in the field uh, deserve to get fairly, very highly paid, in my opinion. We're not there yet, but the solution is the reimbursement for our services. And I think a lot of it comes back to that. When you look at recruitment uh, abilities and our ability to retain uh, good folks, um we need to have good salaries and to have good salaries we need proper reimbursement for our services from medicare medicaid and other payers
0: well i think you've summed it up perfectly there and that's the reason why we continue to fight this good fight um justin thank you very much for joining me on this uh, podcast and thanks for listening to the read and uh, how can we get in touch with you if we need to
1: well, Rob, my email address is jgros at gfes.net, which is J-G-R-O-H as in hotel, S as in Sierra, at Sierra.net. And that's probably the best way to uh, reach me. I really appreciate uh, having the chance to chat with you about this today,
0: Rob. And I absolutely love the use of the phonetic alphabet. Well done, sir. I appreciate <laughs> that. That's great. <laughs> no, but, uh, but do get in touch with Justin. Justin is doing a really important job Uh, Not only, of course, out there in Montana, but also with the American Amateur Association and with the lobbying and the the effort to make sure that we are noticed. So uh, thank you, sir, for doing that. And uh, you can follow me on Twitter at UKRobL1 or find me over on LinkedIn. If you have a comment, please leave it in the comments section uh, of the main article at EMS1.com. So that's all for today. Uh, My guest has been uh, Justin Gross and I've been Rob Lawrence. And until next time. Bye for now.